This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parsha Shokhtan 5782. The Pusik that we're talking about is something that my brother gave a mnemonic to remember it years ago. It's in Perak Yud Zion Pusik Yud Aleph. The way to remember this Pusik is 1711, as in 711, you just put a one in front of it. So 1711, okay? It's, the Pusik is, Al Torah Rucha. You have to learn and do things according to the Torah that they tell you to do. And on the judgments that they tell you to do. You cannot turn away from anything they tell you, right or left. You can't deviate from where they tell you, from where Chazal tell you to go. Don't go in any direction, just listen to the words of the rabbis. Now, the Nitziv says this entire Pasuk is wide open for a drasha. None of it is necessary. We already said that you have to listen to the words of Chazal. That's pretty obvious. So what's this for? The Rambam in Hilchus Mamrim Perak Aleph says, HaTorah Asher Yerucha refers to all Takanos, all Gezeros, all Minhagim, the Chazal came up with. All those customs, anything that they did to, that strengthen our Torah observance, that allow us to do things in the right way, that's the concept of that. Mishpat refers to things that are learned from the 13 Midos that we say every morning. I hope you say every morning by Rabbi Yishmael Omer, those 13 things. And Minhadavar refer to the Kabbalos that we have from Harsina, like the Halachal Sina and the other Kabbalos that we might have that are given over from Rabbi to Rabbi over the generations. And all of that is included over here that we have to learn these things, we have to be involved with these things, and one goes to the other right over here. Now Rashi tells us the famous line, even if the rabbis tell you that your right is your left and your left is your right, you must listen to what the rabbis say. Especially, kol shikane, if they tell you your right is your right and your left is your left. But you have to listen to the rabbis in what they tell you no matter what. Nagorari says that you know this is true, right? They know, listen, it's definitely true. If they mamish tell you your right hand is your right hand, your left hand is your left hand, that's, that's totally different. But this is saying like this. There's a situation where based in a gadol paskind about a certain case. Based in a gadol said, this is dalacha, this is usr. And then another based in came around and said that it's mutter. Says the gorarie, because that's your based in, your Beisden is the one that said Mutter, even though Beisden HaGadol said that it was also Beisden HaGadol, referring to like the Sanhedrin, the Lishkas HaGazis, those sitting at that court. But if a court, a legitimate court, comes along and says something different, says the Gorarie, you're still allowed to listen to them. That's still rabbis that are saying the opposite. The left became the right. The right became the left. They're turning around that psak. Nonetheless, you're allowed to do it. And it's all part of the command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And not only are you allowed to do it, by the way, it's a mitzvah to do what they say. Even though you think it's the opposite. All of this is to keep as far away from Machlokas as possible. We don't want people going screaming. So we say, listen, there are Rabbanim involved. If the Rabbanim are legitimate, you do what you're supposed to do. That's what we end up doing over here. Now the Sifzei Chachamim says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes sure that great men do not make mistakes. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. What does that mean that great men don't make mistakes? They only allow, says, Hashem, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows the truth 
to come out of their mouths. So if he tells you something you think is wrong, you can assume that you're the one who's wrong and not him. Because when Chazal have that, there's something that's siyatidishmaya, something special that allows the right words to flow from their mouths, and therefore that's the concept. That's how the Sifzah Chami puts it. Now the Ramban doubles down on this idea. You know, sometimes the Ramban agrees with Rashi and adds on to Rashi, and sometimes he argues with Rashi altogether. This is a situation where the Ramban is agreeing with Rashi and just adding on one point. You think the Chachamim are mistaken. You look at the situation, you're like, there's no way that's right. It doesn't sound right, it doesn't look right, whatever it is. The matter that they're claiming seems as obvious to you as saying that your right hand is your right hand, your left hand is your left hand. That's how obvious it seems. Nevertheless, says the Ramban, you have to do what they say. Don't think to yourself, how can I eat this? It's chalet, it's Fat, forbidden fats that you're not allowed to have from an animal. Or, how can we kill this man? He's clearly innocent. All of those things is not something you should say. Rather, you say, this is a command like any other command. And I'm giving this as an example. This is not the Ramban's example. But there are times where we're told to kill babies. Amalek babies is a chiyuv diorizah, the seven nations of Canaan. We were told to kill the children. Now, that's not something that's easy for anyone to understand, and that's not something that anybody wants to do. It's one of the reasons why we can't get involved in this mitzvah nowadays of killing a malik, because can you imagine if we're wrong, and we'd have to kill everybody? This is, it's not something that any normal person would allow in their minds. So the Ramban says, but you do it anyway, if Hashem commands it, because that's the mitzvah. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I might be totally against it. It's against my mores. It doesn't make a difference. If that's the command, if that's the mitzvah, we have to do the mitzvah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This mitzvah is to listen to Chazal, to listen to the great men of the Torah who have translated the Torah the way that they thought was best, the way they understand it. And even when we see, we're looking at it, we're like, this doesn't make any sense to us to go ahead and do what Chazal tell us to do. That's the concept of what Rabbi Gamliel told Rabbi Yoshua. If you'll remember, there's a Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah where Rabbi Yoshua heard these Adim come in and they testified about the new moon, but they had to be wrong. And Rabbi Gamliel accepted them as witnesses, even though it looked like they were dead wrong. And Rabbi Yoshua said, they're wrong. They can't be right. There's no way. And Rabbi Gamliel made a decree. He told Rabbi Yoshua, you have to walk to me on your Yom Kippur. Because according to Rabbi Gamliel, it was Rosh Chodesh one day earlier. According to Rabbi Yoshua, it was one day later, right? Rabbi Yoshua thought the next day should be Rosh Hashanah. So according to him, Yom Kippur was going to be on a certain day. Rabbi Gamliel was going to have it one day earlier. Rabbi Yoshua was told by Rabbi Gamliel to walk to him on his Yom Kippur. For Rabbi Gamliel, it was uh, the next day, the day after Yom Kippur. For Rabbi Yoshua, it was his Yom Kippur. And he had to walk to him and then. And because Rebbe Gamliel was a Beisdin, the Beisdin at the time, and he was saying when the month should be based on what he thought the Aiden would be, even if he was wrong, it doesn't make a difference. Atem, if you call it out and you make it into Rosh Chodesh, afilu mezidin, afilu shogin, even if you made a mistake by accident, even if you did it on purpose, a hundred percent you listen. And Rebbe Yoshua walked to Rebbe Gamliel with his money belt, 
on the day that came out to be Yom Kippur, according to him. And that's the concept over here, says the Ramban. The concept is, is that if the Rabbanan make it, and you think it's mistaken, you listen anyway. The need for this, he says, is tremendous. Tremendous. The Torah was given to us in writing. And times were going to change. Can you imagine? Imagine the world 150 years from now. And you can't. The world is completely different. Aside from the horrible smell, which we've talked about before. It's the one reason why I would never go back into the past. If I had a time machine, I'd never go into the past. The smell would be unbearable. No one here would be able to smell anybody. From 20 feet away, you'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that is the worst smelling smell I've ever smelled in my smelling life. Right? That's what it's like. But aside from that... All the issues that we have today, like this beautiful air conditioning, the electric lights, obviously cars, airplanes, etc., phones, everything is completely gone. The world changes, and that's the way it is. There are going to be so many people with so many opinions that are going to come up in the future, and we need to have one way of looking at things. Can you imagine? Again, imagine this. If there was a machlokis, whether electricity was mutter on Shabbos or usher on Shabbos, and there was a legitimate opinion, there is none, but if there was a legitimate opinion that allowed you to use electricity on Shabbos, can you imagine what the Jewish life would look like? You'd have some people who are Orthodox Jews who are driving on Shabbos, turning on lights and doing other things because of that opinion, a legitimate opinion, that allowed forms of electricity. Of course, I'm talking about not gas-powered cars, but electric cars, right? And other things would have been totally mutter. Says the Ramban, you can't imagine a world like that where everybody's totally separate. Yes, we make fun of Spartan because they eat rice over Pesach and therefore they have to do slichos every day for 30 days of Elul because of the fact that they ate rice. The nine days for Ashkenazim and Spartan are totally different. Yes, there are differences of opinions in smaller situations, in situations where we look at it and we say, all right, that's what they do, this is what we do, there's no question. Minahagim and shoals. But there's no one here who would go to a Sparty shoal and not know what's going on. It's not like you'd walk inside and be like, holy cow, this is, just, this is like conservatism. No one here would be shocked by what goes on in a Sparty shoal. Even if you went to a Syrian shoal, if you went to all these shoals, we're all basically the same. But Kiddusha is a little bit different. But certain parts of the tefillah are a little bit different. But there's different types of ways that we put the Sefer Torah in the Aron Kodesh. Little things are different, but the basics are all the same. And that's the important part, says the Ramban. Arguments are going to start compounding if you don't have this concept of one major basin. Two things are going to turn into four things. And then four things will turn into eight things. And eight things will turn into 16. I don't know this, but I think that's maybe the reason why the Vilna Gon didn't want to even put on tefillin to Rabbeinu Tam. His answer when somebody asked him, why does he only wear the tefillin of Rashi? Why doesn't he wear the tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam? Is he said, if I went with all the different shitos of the different tefillin, there are different opinions here. I'd have to go with 64 different pairs of tefillin, or 128 pairs of tefillin, or 256 pairs of tefillin. There are so many machlokism about how to put the tefillin together and different shitos about all the different parts of tefillin. It would be impossible, says the Vilnagon. So why would I add on a Rabbeinu Tam? Why make two Torahs out of one? And I get that concept. Again, that's not entirely what the Vilna Gon held regarding the tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam, but that's the concept. Now, there are certain exceptions to this rule, and I'm sure you've already thought of a few of them. There are certain exceptions that we have by everything over here. 
But the point is, is that we have chosen certain arbiters of halacha, people that have spent their entire lives learning Torah, people that spend their entire lives connecting and being davuk to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to allow a person like that to do something so wrong that it will turn all of Klau Yisrael away from the proper halacha. It won't happen. It's impossible. I, I don't mean to say it this way, because again, like, we're not machriyim, and it's impossible to be involved with this. But one of the big machlokas between the Satmar Rav, Rabbi Yolmi Satmar, and the Igris Moshe, and Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, and there were quite a few, but one of them is the fact that Rabbi Moshe allowed Chal of Stam. That he didn't say that you can only have Chal of Yisrael. He allowed you to have milk that did not require a Jew to be there, obviously with a Heksher, but did not require a Jew to be there the entire time. Now that right there, said the Samarov, was completely wrong, and he couldn't believe it. I mean, based on the Chassam Sofer, the Chassam Sofer says, Chas v'sholem, to have any type of Chal, you can't get rid of the Gezeira, the Takana of, of Chal of Yisrael, can't get rid of it. But it's clear the Ramosh had his Shita. In my mind, and this is the way I look at it, and I don't know if anybody else feels this way, there's no way HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have allowed Rav Moshe to make a mistake, to paskin lahalacha in such a way where millions of people are keeping a halacha that's completely wrong. In my mind, even if the Satmarov is looking at it in one way, Reb Moshe's psak, which obviously was brought to Klal Yisrael and everybody's doing it, is clearly the way, I shouldn't say everybody, but many people are doing it, it's clearly something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted. And that, the Ramban, says is the lesson from this Pasuk. The lesson from this Pasuk is, is don't turn away from what they, told, what they have been telling you. Not just Stam a guy. This doesn't count by me. Even if I can give a psak here or there on something that I might know a little bit or something that I learned from Shemush. There's no way that you're going to... I'm not part of that. But by the tremendous Rabbanim who have dedicated themselves to doing this day and night, those are the people who Al-Karish Baruch who keep from mistakes says the Ramban, those are the people that we say, low sustor. Don't turn away from them. Don't go away from what they said. Okay, that's one. That's the way that we learn Rashi in Pashas, in the simplistic form. And here we have something different. There's a sefer called the Be'er Basada. He's written on Rashi. It's in the, the Chumashim called the Yud Aleph Meforshe Rashi. I don't know if you've seen them before, but the 11 Meforshim and Rashi. The Be'er Basada is there. In Avodah the Gemara Avodah Rabbi Yishmael asked Rabbi Yossi why they forbade people from eating Gvinos Akum, cheese that were made by non-Jews. Gvinas Akum. And he answered, because they made it in a kevas nevela, meaning in a type of stomach area, the rennet or whatever it is, of an animal that wasn't kosher. And therefore, that non-kashrus would make a, be a problem for any gvina, any cheese that was made by non-Jews. The Gemara says there, that wasn't the real reason. That Rabiosi gave him the wrong reason on purpose. On purpose. Because we don't reveal reasons for certain things that Chazal did for 12 months after the gzera is made. If you make a gzera, do not explain why that gzera was made. For 12 months, leave it as it is. And then if you want to explain it after 12 months, you have the right to explain it, but you don't have to. 
to the point where Rabbi Yossi Mamish gave the wrong reason for something, says the Bear Basada. Why? So you don't question them at the time. So the Gezerah gets accepted. And that's what you mean by low sustor. You might not agree with the reasoning given over here. And listen, Rabbi Yishmael is a huge tzaddik. But nonetheless, the reason that Chazal have for it may very well be hidden. Look, does anybody understand why we can't go swimming on Shabbos? Now, granted, there's a huge Mishnah Bura on this, but the concept of the Durabanan of Gezerah, you might come to make a raft? Is, is, does that make sense? But clearly, that's not the real reason. Clearly, there's something else behind it, and Chazal may not have ever revealed that to us. Now, I understand the idea of not using medicine on Shabbos because of the mortar and pestle. But considering everyone here, has anybody ever used a mortar and pestle in your life? Has anybody here made their own Advil? Because if you are, stop. That's a bad idea. That is a horribly bad idea. Nobody here has done it. What in the world kind of exera is that? We have pharmaceutical companies that are making billions off of us and our headaches, right? And it makes, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense to keep this gazera. But we have a gazera. The gazera is not to use medicine in certain situations for that reason, because of this gazera. That's how it goes. And we might not understand it, but it's there. And what the real reason for it is, we have absolutely no idea. Yeah, Dave. What's the, I mean, at the end of the day, there has to be a line where we're separating, like, and I'm, from I'm not giving this line. That's not about here right now. Only about this Pasuk of Los Sustur Mina Davar Yomni Small, what the Pasuk is trying to tell you. I am not giving you delineated ideas. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going into that idea. All I'm telling you is what the Los Sustur will include, but I'm not giving you the line as to how far it's going to go. I'm not going to do it. It's just too much. It's way too much. And there's also Svarim. <laughs> not such a thing. The Marat Schia says a whole safer on it. There's more. There is an exception. The Ksavah Kabbalah says if you absolutely absolutely know they're making a mistake. You know that if you can get around it, don't do it. That's one thing. But the Ksav Kabbalah also, that seems to go against what we said in Rashi earlier, it's a huge thing right over here. Now the Kliyakr says an unbelievable idea over here, that the wording sounds like the Chachamim are really calling the right-left and left-right, and they're mistaken. And yet we still have to listen to them. He says that everything's got to be figured out in the Torah. For example, whether that action is going to be mutter or usher. And there's many reasons, right, to say that it's permitted and many reasons to say that it's going to be prohibited. I'm just going to tell you, like, going through Svarim and trying to go through a sugya and halacha, you will see tons of opinions based on certain situations that might come up that will allow you through svara to say that something might be mutter and something might be usher. There's tons of reasons for that. The reason why we call this mutter and we'll call that usher is because we take all of those factors into account. We almost do like a mathematical equation, add them up together. There are more reasons to matter than asr, or more reasons to asr than matter. And therefore, we come out with the answer, okay, here's what we got to do. We're going to figure out right over here. Sanhedrin, and this is brought down in the Gemara in Yud Zayin and Aleph in Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, in order to be a member of Sanhedrin, you had to be metaher asheret. That means you would find a dead rat on the ground, and you'd have to find 150 ways to be metirate. 150 ways to make that dead rat tahor and not tummy. Now, a dead rat is definitely tummy. It's no question that it's tummy. 
But as Sanhedrin, what Sanhedrin needed to do is to come up with conceptual ideas, svaras, logic from other cases, and apply it to this one, and allow that to be able to be there, not for a halacha, you can't matar a sheretz, you can't mitahar a sheretz, but conceptually, can they think their way out of a problem? That's the idea behind it. It's like sending them all to, what's that place called where you go into the room and you say, the escape room. It's like sending these Sanhedrin to an escape room, but a really hard one. (laughs) Not like one of those easy ones. A really difficult one and saying, figure it out on your own. Try to do it on your own. And that was the way that they'd have to get there in order to have this out-of-the-box thinking for them to go in the right way. Sometimes, Sanhedrin has to be involved, says the Kliyakar, with the whole Ross Shah. Whole Ross Shah is, at this time, in this area, we need a certain psak. I wouldn't do it elsewhere. I wouldn't do it in all situations. I wouldn't do it for all time. But for right now, this is maybe what's necessary for Klau Yisrael, and therefore we're going to take this on for ourselves. Look, every single person here is wearing a kippah, Baruch Hashem, right? That was a whole Ross Shaw at some point. This was not something that was automatically done, and there is no psak from the Torah, even though there's a taz, right? But that says that we have to wear a kippah. But we all got involved with this, and it started becoming just exactly who we are. It's really difficult to find people. It's one of the first things that people do when they go off the derech. The first thing they do is take off their kippah. Sometimes it's tzitzis, but you don't notice it's tzitzis, right? But a kippah is like the first thing. This is something that started, and it became almost like an where we got rid of certain ideas from the Torah and went with durabanans, and all of a sudden that became exactly what we're about. And for that reason, says the Kliyakar, halacha becomes mobile. It becomes mobile, depending on the quality of the posik. And remember, I'm saying this all within the quality of the posik who's passing it. I don't mean that anybody like me can just get up there and change a halacha that everybody has, or even get involved in these types of halachas, because that destroys the Torah entirely. But it is po- it, there's a possibility to allow laws to be different in certain situations based on the person that's involved in that case. That's the idea. And again, as long as a Kaddish Baruch was involved, the power given over to Bayesian, etc. Okay, that's that. I, I, I do want, I, again, as I keep saying, like I got to make this with a caveat. There's a lot of things that I'm saying right now that sound like api courses. I'm being, ve- I want to be very clear here that this is only with a true posik, a person who understands the nuances and the realm of halacha and has gone through everything and understands it. I do not have that ability and many, many other people that I can tell you do not have that ability who might think they have that ability do not have that ability. There are people out there that I would say do, do have that ability, a Reb Moshe Feinstein type, a Reb Yashiv type, a Reb, a, a Reb Chaim Knievsky type, who have that ability to be that arbiter, that person who can make a psak and make an idea that lasts for Klal Yisrael. Of course, we're really talking in the realm of Sanhedrin, Bayesian, where there's people talking to each other and making it together, but that concept is there for them. Yeah. So, today, we don't, we don't have a Sanhedrin or, or right. a Correct. So you do have that. You have Rav Yashem, or you have Rav Moshe, or you have Rav Avadia. So that means that means right. But that means that changing, changing something that's already in place is almost impossible. And I'm going to give an example. And again, this is also up for halacha. Halacha, you know, I guess your disposition. But for example, when I've always asked, going through the sugya of showering on yamtiv. 
with hot water, without hot water, but showering on Yom Tif, whether that's allowed or not. It's based on a sugi and Shabbos and Daf Mem Aleph. There's the Shulchan Aruch that's to be called. So regardless, going through the sugya, are you allowed to or are you not allowed to? And I'd like to say that I've looked through this quite a bit. And it came out with a couple svaras which I thought were legitimate, and I brought it to three different Rabbanim. One of the Rabbanim agreed with me, but didn't want to say it out loud without other people saying it as well. Another Rav said he doesn't agree with me, but for a different reason altogether, but he said he wouldn't stop me from saying what I was saying. The third Rav told me something that I didn't know at the time, but it's something that's there. This is something called Dover HaShavalachol Nefesh. Dover HaShavalachol Nefesh means it's something that's equal by everybody. Everybody would do this. Dover HaShavalachol Nefesh is, for example, like trapping a deer on Shabbos, says the Gemara, is Dover HaShavalachol Nefesh. It's equal to everybody. Why? Because everybody would eat venison on Shabbos. Now, I don't know about that. I've never had venison in my life, right? But I guess if it's good enough, then it's Dover HaShavalachol Nefesh. So they use that for like smoking on Shabbos, etc. Dover HaShavalachol Nefesh. So here's something that I said. I said, nowadays, within the concept of what we are, I shower once, sometimes twice a day. Right? That concept of Dabra Shavalachol Nefesh, at least for Americans, and possibly, I don't know if it's Rove of the World, probably not, because you have a lot of people in India who probably have never showered in their lives, but at least for the people that are around our area, in theory, there are enough Rishonim to say that Dabra Shavalachol Nefesh goes by your area, and if it's Dabra Shavalachol Nefesh, then we should allow it on Yumtif like we do other things, right? That was one of the Svaras that I had, and I was told Dabra Shavalachol Nefesh, you can use Lechumra but we have no ability to do it lakula. We can't change something that wasn't true 100 years ago, and it wasn't. People, showering was not 100 years ago. That cannot change lakula to become that now everyone can shower because everyone around me showers. Aside from that, Dabra Shavah might deal with the entire world, and in the entire world, again, we have India, and India throws everybody off, because that's a lot of people, right? So it's possible that that would throw, it, it's possible we wouldn't be able to. And for that reason, this posik told me, there's no way to match this, because we can't change the Dabra Shavah Nefesh aspect. Now that's, again, something that, in theory, a great Rav would have the ability to argue. A great Rav, and that's the Rebel Yashiv, the Rebel Vad Yosef, the Rav Chaim aspect that's able to do. And they, right, they have certain things that are like that and that go through. But that's something in which another person, a normal person, would not be able to get involved with, and unfortunately, they do. That's the idea. Unless there's something, we are stuck with the laws that we already have in place for Klal Yisrael, but if there are certain things that come up that change certain things, then you're stuck with whatever community you're in with the Rabbanim that are in charge of that community. That's the idea behind it. It would be sort of like that idea, and it's almost impossible to get out of that. There's an unbelievable Samsa over here in Taurus Moshe, we're not going to go into it right now, who goes into the concept of Orech Yamim Bimina, the length of days, longer days are on your right side, Bismola Osher V'chavayit, and he goes over there, but I'm not going to go into that right now. There's so much over here that we're going to skip that and go on for something else. The Tam Vedas, Rav Sturmbach brings Yerushalmi in Brachos Paragdalid, says a Navi and a wise man are compared to the following. A king sends two officers to a certain country. He sends a message. He sends, the message was ahead of them. He says, one of these you cannot trust until he shows you my seal of approval. The other one, you can trust him as soon as he begins to speak. That's what he says. And he says the following. A Navi is not allowed to be believed. 
You can't trust a Navi when a Navi tells you something unless he gives you a sign or a wonder, an os or a mofes. If a Navi comes along and does something wondrous and says something wondrous, we don't listen to him until he's got something, a sign from the king that he's an official Navi. But a Chacham, you listen to his words and what he says because his words show that he himself is a Chacham. And that's the difference. The difference between a Chacham and a Navi and Chacham Adif Minavi in the Gemara in Baba Basri, Yadalim and Aleph. When we say a Chacham is better, this is why. A Chacham needs no introduction. He is who he is, while a Navi needs something different. And that's how Rosh tries to explain this concept of Lo Sasur, don't turn away from it. If they're true Chachamim, not Nevi'im, but Chachamim. And what I want to say by Nevi'im, guys, even though we obviously don't have a Navi nowadays, is speakers. Speakers. They could be tremendous speakers. They could have thousands of followers, tens of thousands of followers. They're not the arbiters of our nation, and hopefully they know that. They could be tremendous in what they're trying to say and great at trying to bring up the, 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 a person and make them feel better about themselves. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. But not, as long as they recognize they're not the postkim of the generation, even if they know how to postkim, they're not the postkim of the generation. That's the concept I think the Rosh book was trying to point out over here. Pnei Moshe, this is a very funny thing, but I, I think it's interesting. Right and left, right? So I'm going to go from right over here. If you have a shin, right? You have a shin right here, right? A shin is obviously when you have it on this side. You have the dot on this side. A sin is if you have it on that side. Right to left and left to right. There are a few times in the Gemara, in Yerushalmi, in the Zohar even, where the, they, they darshan, they make an extrapolation from a shin and turn it into a sin. Or a sin, and they turn it into a shin. For, for example, the Gemara in Tainus is the famous one. Aser, take off miser, bishvil, so that, shetis asher, so that you become rich. Now the Pusik says, aser te aser, sin and sin. But we're saying, aser, take off miser, bishvil, shetis asher, that you end up becoming wealthy. The Drush took the sin, the left, and turned it into a shin, the right. Says the Pnei Moshe, that's what we're saying over here. Even if Chazal say a drush, that makes no sense to you because they're taking a shin and turning it into a sin or a sin and turning it into a shin. Still listen to that word of Chazal. There's a reason why they're doing that. And he gives a couple other examples. Vasimeim barashechem is asham, as in the word guilt. Sibru al-asham becoming shivru. They break themselves to do God's will. The Gan Rava brings down so many different drushes. And that's the idea. If the drush, drush, the concept of extrapolation, which Chazal know how to use, and I don't know how to use, how do you make a medrash? If they knew how to use it properly, if they go from right to left and left to right, and you're looking and you're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. It's because Chazal know how to do this and you don't. That's an unbelievable idea. There's another crazy example, says the Chassam Sofer, of going from right to left and left to right. Do you guys remember this? Right? With Yaakov Avinu. If you think that the right should be on the right and the left should be on the left, that Ephraim and Menashe should be switched when he gave the brachos and instead went like that. And Yosef Tzadik Mamish thought he was wrong. Yosef Tzadik said to Yaakov, you're wrong. Turn your hands around. I put Ephraim on this side and Menashe on that side. Turn them all around. Nonetheless, Yaakov had his svara. He said, Yadati Bani Yadati, I know. Trust me. And that's what we're saying. Even if you think the right should be the left and the left should be the right, 
Keep it that way. Chazal know what they're doing. They know exactly why they're doing such a thing like that. The Beis Yeshaya says we all know that right stands for Midas HaRachamim, right? The mercy of Hashem. The left stands for Midas HaDin. And he says the following, he says, if you see something very difficult happening to you, then know on Hashem's point of view, from Hashem's point of view, it might be a very good thing. For you, it's Din, the left. For them, it's right. For the Chazal, the way Chazal look at it, where Akadosh Baruch Hu looks at it, it's right. It's Chesed. And when you see Chesed happening to you, they might turn around and say, "No, that's really Din. It's the opposite way as well." That's the idea behind it. He, he, the Imre Emes, the Ger Rebbe, says Yemini, Ish Yemini stands for Purim. Right stands for Purim. Small stands for Hanukkah because we all know you light from left to right. You set them up from right to left, but you light from left to right. So he says, that's Yamin and that's small. The point here is to listen to Chazal even about Yamin to keep Purim and about the small to keep Hanukkah, to keep them as if they're from the Torah itself, that they're all involved right over here. So Yismach Moshe says we're always machshiv the right-hand side. We always try to go to our right, right? It's always toward the right-hand side. But sometimes the left hand is important, like putting on tefillin. For all righties, everybody who's a righty knows that you put on your tefillin on the opposite arm. I'm a lefty. I put my tefillin on my right arm. There are times where the right has the chashivas. There are times where left has the chashivas. You put on your shoes right, then left, and you tie your shoes left, then right. Unless you're a lefty like me, then you do right, left, right, left. But there are times where each one has their chashivas. You think it doesn't matter? You think there's no difference between the two and the right can be the left and the left can be the right? Trust Chazal. They know what they're saying. Whether we understand it or not, why this happens, we have no idea. But nonetheless, it's right there. Now, Revisor Zalm Melter is the first person that I've heard say this word, but it's my favorite, absolute favorite when it comes to this. If I'm looking at you, Avi, right, and I'm looking at your right and your left, to me, your, the right is that hand right over there. Your left is that arm. But that's obviously the opposite of you because we're looking at it from two totally different perspectives. When you're sitting over there, you see that is your left and this is your right. But when I look at it from this perspective, an outsider's perspective, who might have a better view, a better view of what's going on, I say, no, 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 no. that's the right and that's the left. Chazal have that opposite view. When I was younger and I was in yeshiva, like my first and second year, I kept thinking like I knew halacha. Because, you know, like first year guy in Eretz Yisrael, you think you're a god with an uppercase G. So like you think you know everything and everything's good, whatever it is. So I would like say what I thought was the halacha in a certain situation and I was always wrong. <laughs> always wrong. And why? Because from my perspective, my they didn't have YouTube back then. So like TV and movie filled perspective of my brain, I looked at things in a certain way and I couldn't get that out of my head and it was always one certain way. And every single time, it's from the opposite perspective. HaKadosh Baruch was looking at it from the other way. That's the concept. That if they tell you the right is the left and left is the right, take them seriously because Chazal are coming from a totally different perspective that you can't imagine because you've never been in their shoes and you've never been in the world that they're in. That's the idea behind it right over there. There are stories about Hasidim who took this very seriously, such as the Chidusha Rim. They say that the Chidusha Rim wrote his magnum opus. It was like a Mishnah Brura for Choshen Mishpat. As we all know, the Chafetz Chaim made his Mishnah Brura on Orachayim of Shulchan Aruch. Supposedly, the Chidusha Rim, the first Ger Rebbe, 
made a Mishnah Brura for all of Choshen Mishpat, which was amazing. Amazing. The craziest thing you've ever heard. Like an unbelievable Sefer. And he showed it to the Kutzker, his Rebbe. And the Kutzker thought it wouldn't be Roy to put this out. For whatever reason. Felt that people will stop learning their Shachtaz. But he said, you shouldn't put this out. And the Chidush Rim, because of these words, Lo Sosur, he went to a fireplace. And I don't know if he actually made a bracha on this. I don't know. But they say he made a bracha. Bracha to Hashem Elokeinu Machelam Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvosav V'tzivanu Lishmoa Elachachamim. To listen to the Chachamim. He took the entire thing and he threw it into the fireplace. And we don't have it. The entire work of the Chidush Arim is gone. It's not here. Because of listening to his rub. They took that very seriously. The Avni Nazar told the Rebbe of Alexandria to eat and drink wine before davening because he wasn't feeling well. So the Rebbe of Alexander said, all right, I have to do it because the Avni Nazar told me to do it. He made a bracha. And again, I can't tell you this is what he really did. To put it in a different form, there's a crazy story that happened with Rav Shalom Shwadron. I don't know if anybody knows Rav Shalom Shwadron. If you've ever read any of the Magid books of Rav Pesach Kron, Right? The Maggid walks, the Maggid talks, the Maggid takes a nap, the Maggid sits on a chair. You know all those? Right? So all the Maggid books are all about Rav Shalom Shwadron, who is the Maggid of Yerushalayim for many years. A tremendous Sadiq and has great stories. So this story is in there. When Rav Shalom was much, much younger, he had whooping cough, I think it was. One of those, you know, like croup or something. That was, you know, they didn't have vaccines back then. And you no, know, he held against the vaccines. <laughs> so either way, we're not even going to get into that. So either way, regardless, he went, he went ahead. And he, he, he had whooping cough, and they didn't know what to do. The hospital had basically wiped their hands clean. They said, we can't do anything for him. So his father brought him to the Chazanish. The Chazanish. And he said to the Chazanish, what should we do? And the Chazanish says, eucalyptus leaves are really good for whooping cough. It really heals a person. Bring him over to a certain lake, a, you know, like small little thing in Tel Aviv. There's an island there with eucalyptus trees on it. And go around that island. Go... Boat, you know, take a boat and like go around that island and breathe in that air, and that should do wonders for your cough. So they did it. Rashawn Chodron's father did it. And as they were going, he saw that his father was like whispering something under his breath. The whole time he's whispering something under his breath. And they're going around, right? And going around. And after like five times around the island, the cough was gone. Rashawn felt unbelievably better. And he said, Abba, this is the most amazing thing in the world. We have to tell everyone. Eucalyptus leaves heal whooping cough. We have to go tell everybody that. And his father told him, he's like, you think it's the eucalyptus leaves that healed you? It's our munas chachamim, our trust that what the chachamim say is correct, that's what healed you. That's it. And that's what he was saying the whole time. And Munas Chachamim, like, I believe in what the Chachamim say. It sounded ridiculous to go to eucalyptus leaves and like all of a sudden, you think koalas don't get whooping cough? They probably don't. But I, like, it's such a crazy thing. But that's the concept. The idea is to go ahead in that type of way. Now, there isn't a Barbanel here who takes this in a different way. There's another idea of the Tam Vedas who points out the famous Gemara of Asher Kedushalim Zavanu Lahadlik because of the command. Are we really allowed to make a bracha on a Durabanan based on this Pasuk, which definitely seems that way? There's an unbelievable Yaakov Kamenetsky who learns it from a different part of the Pasuk and not from Lo Sustor, but from Kolashe Yidul Chatasa, because in order to make, make a bracha, you can't make a bracha on a lav. You can only make a bracha on an assay. 
So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky points out, and I also saw this in the Tovah Zephas Bracha on the Malbim, that it has to be that there's an assay involved in listening to the Chachamim, and that's the word right before this, which is, what's the wording over here? Asher Yomru Lecha Ta'aseh. And that's where the Rambam gets it from. That's why the Rambam says such a thing. And the Ramban has huge questions on this. Again, we're not going to get into. But if every time you do a Durabanan, it's technically a Dilraisa, because the Torah says, So why do we say Suffolk Dilraisa Lechumra, but Suffolk Durabanan Lekula? Every Durabanan is a Dilraisa. Every time I listen to the rabbis, it's like I'm doing something in the Torah. So every single time it should be that way. And there's tremendous answers from the Chassam Sofer, the Torah Tamima, right, the Chikrei Lev, and the Meshech Chachma. Oh, if you have any time this Shabbos, if you have a little bit of time, go through Reb Meir Simcha of Devinsk in the Meshech Chachmas, Pshat on this Pasuk, and Yud Zayn Yud Aleph. It's long, it's about a page and a half long in the Meshech Chachma, depending on which Meshech Chachma you have. It's about a page and a half long. It is absolutely unbelievable. He tries to explain the Rambam and say what it means that new things will come up. Very similar to what we said from the Kliyakar before, but he says it in such a beautiful way, trying to understand what this is referring to. Now, Tuvcha Yabiu says there's a famous story of Ramosha Feinstein that happened while he's still a Rav in Russia. There was a well-known Moser, Right, This guy was telling over on everybody to the government and he was getting people in trouble. So he was about to die. So he called in the Chabra Kedisha and he told them, you know, as a kapara for my sins, I want you to bury me instead of lying down. I want you to bury me like standing up, like the burial of a donkey. I want you burying me like they would a donkey. Like take my coffin. Don't put it this way. Put it this way. I want it that way. So Chabra Kedisha didn't know what to do. Is a mitzvah. Machmas Misa, it was a command right before the guy died. The guy passed away right afterward. So he went to Ramosha Feinstein. He was very young at the time, right? I, I think maybe even in his late 20s, maybe early 30s, right? When he was still rough, near Slutsk, Slutsk. So they asked him, and he said, absolutely not. The Torah says that you have to bury somebody normally. You can't bury somebody like that. So I don't care what he commanded. He has no right to do that. You bury him normally and absolutely that way. So they did. They buried him in the normal fashion. A couple days later, officers from the Russian government, they came and they knocked on the door of the Chavar Kedisha. They said, unbury that guy right now. Unbury him right now. They said, we can't do it. We can't do it. They said, unbury him right now. We're throwing you all in jail. So they did it. They went out to the cemetery. They, un- they unburied him. They took him out of the ground, right? And they looked inside. They saw that the coffin was normal. They said, okay, it's fine. You can put him back. What happened was that the guy wrote a letter to the government officers telling them that the Jews hate me because I'm more of a Russian than a Jew. And therefore, because of that, they're going to bury me like a donkey. So go check my grave after I die, and you'll see that they buried me like a donkey. So they checked him, and obviously they didn't do it that way. That's what it means, Lishmoa el Chachamim. The Chachamim know what they're talking about. There's another famous story. And you guys all know this one. There was a woman that, uh, there was a very poor tailor who once made enough money to be able to get chicken for the household. He didn't have a lot of money, but he got chicken this time. And his wife made it into a large soup. You know, a large soup so they could drink from and they could eat from it and everything that was in there. But she wasn't used to flasheks. So she ended up using a milchik spoon, ben yomo, to stir the pot. And now they didn't know what to do. Right? The milk spoon is used right at that time. What are we going to do? So the husband, right, went to the rub of the city. 
but it took him a while, right? By the time he got to the Rav, there was somebody else there, and then there was another Shaila, and the Rav had to look up, and this, and whatever it was, right? In the end, the Rav said mutter, and the husband came back. But his wife, who's sitting there preparing for Shabbos, she didn't know what to do. She, she get something else, whatever it is. She quickly took the pot and brought it to the Vilna Gon. The Gro lived in the same city. He was in Vilna. The Gro was not the Rav of the city. He was not even a Roshiva of the city. He was just a great Tzaddik living in the city. And the Gro paskined Usr. You can't eat it. You cannot eat it. So the wife went back and said, all right. We, she started making other things for Shabbos. Then the husband came back and said, the Rav said Mutter. The Rav said Mutter. And she went all white. I asked the Gro, and the Gro said Usr. Now we didn't know what to do. So the tailor ran over to the, to the what's it called, to the Rav, and said, the Gra Paskin, that it was us, or you said it's Mutter, what should we do? So the tailor said, come with me. He goes over to the Gra's house, and he says, I need you to come with me. I, I'm nothing in comparison to you, the Vilna Gon, but I'm the Rav of the city, and I made a Psak. If I made this Psak, and people are going to take me seriously, the, the Gra has to take me seriously as well. So the Gra agreed, and he said, I will come over, and I'll eat from the soup as well. So they both went. Can you imagine this tailor's house that night? After Friday night, right, they went to Davening, and afterward, they both, the Vilna Gon and the Rub of the city, are going to the tailor's house to have some of the soup. As the wife is walking by, she's so nervous, she knocks over one of the candles, and a candle fell into the soup. The candles were made out of pig fat. So now the soup, Lakulielma, was 100% usher. There's no question. So the Rav turned to the Vilna Gon and he said to the Grah, I'm so sorry. I obviously made a mistake. And a Kaddish Baruch who is punishing me, right? I'm so sorry. The Psak was obviously like the Grah. And the Grah said, absolutely not. You were right. The Psak was like you, that it was Mutter. But for me, it's the concept is called Shavya Anafshe Chaticha Di Yisura. I made it usser for me because I paskin that it was usser. Shamayim didn't want me to eat something that's usser. So therefore, they were misabivit that I wouldn't have to eat from it. But in fact, it was mutter because you paskin that it was mutter. That's the gruz take on this again. That's the concept. The concept is, is lo sasumiko In whichever way that we understand it, chazal, with their koach of chachma, with their koach of, of kedusha, have the ability to make up sak that no one else could possibly make. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.